Welcome to your Truth Revealed, a podcast that explores your hidden physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marku, and I share with you the power of self-knowledge. I interview industry professionals to talk about how you can be your own mental health expert. You're listening to episode 30, Know Your Yoga Therapy. This is the second part of an interview with Jess Goulding. We talk about ways to integrate the yoga teachings in everyday life. This includes developing self-awareness and having agency, which is your power to make choices to be well. Often the peaceful things are in nature. There's that saying, stop and smell the roses. You gaze at your garden. You have to purposefully turn to what is peaceful and drink it into your senses. You need beauty around you to have peace and calm. Then you get that sense of peace inside. It moves into deeper awareness of what am I spending my time doing? Where am I looking? If you want to have peace, you cannot continue to link to violence. Jess Goulding earned her Bachelor of Fine Arts in Dance at the University of Texas at Austin. She then danced professionally in New York City. There she became a certified yoga teacher at the Mandali Studio. She's a certified yoga therapist and yoga teacher in Austin, Texas. Listen as Jess and I discuss ancient yoga teachings that are backed by modern psychology and neuroscience. Well, you reminded me about psychologist Rick Hansen. He says that the mind is like Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive ones. I love that metaphor. That speaks to this negativity bias that our brains have. Can you share more about that? If I look at it from the yoga perspective, it has to do with where are you linking? We're always linking in the world. You're linking through your senses, through your eyes, you link to what you see, through your ears, to what you hear, etc. When you link to danger, hatred, or violence, then that's more of the experience that you'll take on. You come into the negativity bias. If you see something negative, our lizard brain says, I need to keep that information. This is danger. That's the Velcro part. When you are linking to things of beauty and peace and calm, the Teflon means we have to actively stay on it for 15 seconds to remember it. The example is I'm taking a walk, I'm in my head, and then I'll call myself to be present. I only really remember the times where I pause and look. I have this mental photo album of beautiful moments where I pause to watch this yellow butterfly dance on a flower. There's that saying, stop and smell the roses. This is that, and it is that important. Literally. Because if you want to have peace, link to peace. Mm -hmm. You cannot say, I want to have peace, and then continue to link to violence. You're going to get that violence. That's easy. Mm. You have to purposefully turn to what is peaceful and drink it into your senses. You need beauty around you to have peace and calm, have living things nearby to link to. And deliberately seeking that out. Yeah, it's a practice mm -hmm. to remember. I think it's why some people love to have aquariums in their house and they will gaze at it. That's not nothing. Yeah. There's a lot going on there by gazing at that. Then your Teflon brain that would just sooner let that moment go because it's not going to help for their survival. We're moving beyond survival and into a desire for peace. Often the peaceful things are in nature. You gaze at your garden. It's also watching a baby smile. Really sit there and connect with that smile because then you get that sense of peace inside. 
it moves into deeper awareness of what am I spending my time doing? Where am I looking? I think that goes back to intention. If we set our intention to cultivate more peace, then we can begin to take those long walks and take that time to look at the flower. Looking at my chihuahua gives me so much pleasure. Just watching him be a mammal. He's not thinking through all the lists. He's not doing all the human stuff that we do. I get peaceful and calm. And it's surrounding ourselves with those experiences. And again, going back to that intention. Yeah. What, what do you want to bring in? Right. Now, it is not spiritual bypassing. It is not it is putting your head in the sand. It is none of that. It is saying there is work to be done. And I will also bring in beauty. We're talking about engaging in the world, seeking the beauty seeking the peace in the surroundings, which fills your containers ability to then really confront the hard stuff. And that is not spiritual bypassing. Right. I think it's supporting the deep spiritual work. Going on a walk and connecting to beauty refills my cups so that when there is struggle going on, I'm not empty. Mm -hmm. There's an intention. Like you said, there's an intent and there's a purpose for me. I know that if there's enough I'm putting out to guide people, whatever they're drawing from me as their therapist, it is my responsibility to go refill. And I'm refilling purposefully so that I can go serve again. A lot of people that I've taught who are new to meditation had this concept that it was just checking out. And I said, oh boy, it's checking in. It's going into such a deep level of yourself where, like you said, it's that ability to broaden our way of resourcing so that we can handle the difficulties with more ease and move yeah. through it. Yeah. And I would say that it, it's a non-dual thing. You can go meditate and check out. That is fine. If you want to do work, then go in your meditation and do work. Mm -hmm. You get to bring to it whatever you want. I would be hesitant to say it is this or it isn't that because then we're in a dualistic world, mm -hmm. this black and white thing. No, it's all of it. And what is your intention behind it? In my public classes that I teach, I don't really let things go. I prefer to address what's going on in the world mm. in my class. I was in New York City for 9-11, about a mile away. If I teach on 9-11, then I bring in my candle, I light it, and we talk about it. And I braid it into what I'm teaching that day. Well, one time I was doing this and a woman set up her mat. She's not a regular student. I start talking, acknowledge that it's 9-11. She rolls up her mat to leave. Luckily, she hadn't gone. I had had a moment to say, are you okay? And she said, yeah, I needed to come in here and escape. Mm. Totally fine. You get to you get to sometimes leave that hard world, go into a yoga studio and be away from it on your mat. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. And so I suggested, go try the other class. Maybe they're not talking about this right now. If you're going to come to my class, you're going to be held in a container that is loving for you to do the work. Mm -hmm. If you want to escape, know that that's what you're doing. Right. And that's what she was paying attention to what she needed in that moment. Exactly. Exactly. She took care of herself and I respect that. She was proud of my agency. Exactly. You don't have to stay. I'm not going to be everyone's teacher. No one person is everyone's teacher. Well, it's back to what you said earlier about in yoga therapy and also with mindfulness therapy, what I do. It's about the relationship. You have free agency to show up and be you and teach the way that you're going to teach. And those people who resonate with that will be attracted to it. Right. And 
it's taken me years to trust that process. Yes. Me too. <laughs> right? Yeah. And when you first start teaching, you try to teach to everyone or you try to please all the things and all the peoples. And then you go, well, this isn't very authentic. This isn't bringing my best. This isn't speaking my truth. If they do want to come from me. I'm, I'm going to ask for grace. I'm going to learn and try mm -hmm. to do better. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Like, right. We can get our knickers in a twist about a lot of things, but it's all held in the same thing if you allow it, you know, yeah. let it be in love. Exactly. You mentioned that all the spiritual teachings have the same underbelly. And I love that you say that because there have been people that I have come across that believe on some level that if they're Christian, that they can't practice yoga mm. because they're in conflict. But your approach is very different from that. I've done a lot of work on that. <laughs> and come up against a lot of protests uh, within myself and through others. I had to go through my own deconstruction. I grew up going to church. I continue to go to church, but I've gone in and out of it. And I took my longest time of being away during teacher training because it just well, opened up my sense. eyes to so many things. Yeah. Okay. I was also living in New York City. First time really living outside Texas. So my mind was being blown in every <laughs> culture shock. Oh, it was fabulous. I was like, there's a whole other way of thinking and being in the world. Just being in New York, it was, it was very different. So I had a lot of dismantling to do. And I've always been a very spiritual and perhaps religious person. I grew up, my dad was Catholic. My mom was Presbyterian. I did the Sunday school and CCD. I did all of it. It's ingrained in me. It's part of my foundation. Mm -hmm. But what I started to realize at one point is if I stay in the Catholic church, I don't have a voice here hmm. because I'm a woman and I didn't like that. One of the things that you said in our conversation before this was that believing in God or deity is not required. And I was super surprised when you told me that you're an elder in the Presbyterian church. And I'm like, how the heck do you bring these two separate worlds of Christianity and yoga, especially in Texas? into one way of understanding yourself and your world. I had to break it down. Okay. I know all the prayers that we say, the Our Father and the Apostles' Creed, because I used to go to sleep saying the rosary, which is mantra. Yes, it is. Then you go into yoga and they're doing mantras and chanting and you're like, hey, it's not Latin. It's Sanskrit. Oh my gosh, you guys are saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. You can hear it in my voice. It excites me. That is one of the reasons why I'm doing this show. That same feeling that I get when uh -huh. yoga and parts of psychology start to overlap, when all of these things start to come together, to me, that's what resonates with being true. That Venn diagram, that's what I'm after. And I'm okay with everybody having their own Venn diagram. Oh, sure. I think we get into trouble when we decide this is the way, this is the diagram, do it like this. That causes such conflict within most people yeah. that they this have to undo journey. all that. Yeah. Oh, it, it really is. And I, I'm thankful to live in a time where we really are recognizing the personal journey. I, I mean, I know. recognize our, more. <laughs> that's our work. That's our that's work our in work. the world. There really is a yoga for everyone. And looking at yoga, the coolest thing is how neuroscience and Western psychology are catching up with these ancient observations of mental health. This is where I get super excited. What comes to my mind is the word relevant and mm. how relevant both of these are. These ancient teachings are super relevant to our contemporary life. And I'm totally fine with having, you know, new language around it because it's the same thing. Yeah, I agree. Right? For example, like cognitive behavior therapy. This is replacing one thought pattern with another one. 
Is that correct? Cognitive behavioral therapy, that and mindfulness are the two hot topics right now in psychology. And so cognitive behavioral therapy is becoming aware of those inaccurate or negative thoughts that we have and challenging them. I like to call that doing a reality check. Is it real? Mm -hmm. And being able to substitute it for something that is more affirming. It may be as simple as having a negative thought and making that positive. It can be very powerful if that becomes a new perspective for that person. And you said that CBT is also in the sutras, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, they call it Pradipaksha Bhavanam. Pradipaksha Bhavanam is the practice of cultivating the opposite. You observe a thought pattern that arises, I'm not good enough. That's creating a rut in your mind. And that rut can get very deep the longer you do it. Applying the opposite says, I am perfect, whole, and complete. I am worthy. And you fold that into your affirmations and bring it into your breath. The poet Rumi says, I will put you on my breath and you will become my life. Isn't that something? I love that. The piece where you're observing, this is called self-study. You observe and then you have some revelations about what's your patterning. I've heard Western science say it, what fires together, wires together. We want to change that wiring. One of my favorite words to recognize it in the, in the yoga teachings, we would call it samskara. Mm -hmm. If you think about a scar, right? It's a wound that has, uh, well, a scar. <laughs> I think of it as a wheel in your mind. And you have to undo that patterning by applying the opposite till your new patterning scribbles over it so much you can't even see the underlying samskara anymore. These ancient teachings talk about applying the opposite. Well, in psychology, they talk about how when we have these neural connections, I'm not good enough, we make that group deeper and deeper and deeper, the longer that we maintain that same thought. And when we start to create the opposite pattern, I am good enough, all mm -hmm. of a sudden that rewiring starts to shift. And what I mentioned earlier is that neuroplasticity starts to happen in the brain. We do not have stagnant brains. They're constantly changing and moving. And that's what's so cool about life. We do not have to be stuck in these old samskaras. Yeah, we have agency. We have agency. Through my work internally and through the yoga, I look at sin as a klesha. Okay. Kleshas in the sutras are things that obscure true identity. Yes. If there's something between you and reality, you're not seeing clearly. Mm -hmm. That is sin. The word sin in its original context meant missing the mark. Well, and in Spanish, it means without. Yeah. We are born into a body that has to have klesha in order to exist. We have to stop completely identifying with who we really are, which is the God and love experience. To differentiate, to manifest in our blood and bones, we have to take on a klesha. We have to take on a sin, something that removes us from our deepest understanding. And as we get older, we add more on our mm -hmm. programming, our culture, what we're told about Family ourselves. Origin, All of these things add layers of, I'm doing air quotes, sin, because they're klesha. So you get to a point in your 20s and you might identify completely with your job. This is sin. Why? Because you're missing the mark. <laughs> no, you are not your job. I don't know this how many times I've told clients, I said, your work 
is remembering who you really are. You have a job. That job could change tomorrow. That is conditional. Who you are fundamentally is unconditional. And now you're getting into one of the most beautiful things. If you're going to go into a dual world, which we're in, there is me and there is you. We have Prakriti, which is material, and we have Purusha, which is ethereal. Prakriti, the world we live in, everything changes. Prakriti always changes. Mm -hmm. Jobs change. Material changes. Purusha is unchanging. It is the you within the you that is the same when you were born and when you die. Mm -hmm. There is something within you that is unchanging. And when we tap into that, holy moly. That's there's the just about anything that could happen to this physical body from my experience that I can overcome because yeah. it's not the ultimate reality. Which brings me to my other favorite word, which is anahata. Mm -hmm. This is the energy of the heart. The heart chakra is called anahata, which means unstruck. It took me years to understand what that meant until finally it went unstruck, like unstrikable, like unchangeable. I can have deep heartbreak and suffering, and I have. Me too. But within that, there is like a little drum, and it is unstruck. You can't get to it. It is protected by a shroud of love, by a shroud of purusha, of continuous energy. You can't get there. You might break my heart, but you're not going to break my anahata. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All these things happened to me. All this was loaded upon me, but it doesn't change who I fundamentally am. Right. And I am love and joy. It's impossible. Yeah. There is so much more to yoga that we've even covered in this interview, right? Oh, Just the postures is... or asanas. And what more does yoga offer? It's not just uh, about doing yoga postures. No, it, it, what it offers is a way of seeing the world differently. It can open you up. Because you're moving your body, you're going to open your mind. Because you're opening your breath, you're going to change your body. It's literally a holistic approach to life. When you're there enough, you start to see there is really no separation between me and other. Mm -hmm. So it and can how offer you. how significant that is. Oh, that's how you destroy loneliness. There are souls on this planet with me. And there are some that are walking it with me. Loneliness can come and go. It's an emotion. But the not aloneness is the deep unchanging part. And all the teachings and all the practices and all the meditation leads to that freedom of knowing you're not alone. You are intrinsically good. You are deeply loved. Mm -hmm. Your capacity to love is deeper than you even knew. Your body will hurt and it will age. And that's okay. There's things you can do. Mm -hmm. But it offers a third way of being. It's not a black or white world. It's really opens up the capacity to hold it all with grace. It's moving beyond the duality. Mm. And that's transpersonal yeah. psychology. It's holding all of it. That's what it's all about. I love being able to talk with you and having that different perspective, that deep understanding of yoga. And then I can see all my training and mindfulness and psychology and how this comes together. Thank you for your time, Jess. This has been amazing to explore this topic of yoga, what it really means, that it's not just about postures. It's a whole way of life, really. Thank you for listening and, and, and engaging me with it in a way that made me feel like 
sharing and oh. feeling open. You did that for me. I appreciate that very much. Oh, you're very welcome. I want to take a moment to talk about the services Jess Golding offers to you. I first want to emphasize that she makes yoga teaching relevant to your life today so you can feel free, have peace, and restore balance. She believes the yoga teachings are for everyone, and a consistent yoga practice leads to deep personal understanding and spiritual transformation. If this is what you're looking for, go to Jess Golding, G-O-U-L, ding.com. There you can participate in her weekly yoga classes through live streaming and class recordings and listen to meditations on our podcast titled Ready, Get Centered, Go. You can also receive her five practices to boost your immune system for free. This will help you balance your mental state and wellness in order to keep illness at bay for yourself and your loved ones. She just launched her first course, Chakra Savvy, Reset Your Life Game Plan. This is your ultimate guide to putting the pieces back together. She'll be releasing more content through 2021. Again, her website is jessgolding.com. Welcome to the bonus segment of my podcast, Your Truth Revealed. I want to expand on some of the main points from my interview with Jess Golding. Psychologist Rick Hansen says your mind is like Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive ones. Velcro easily sticks and stays in place. And in the same way, your mind holds onto and dwells on difficulties. On the other hand, Teflon is smooth like a nonstick pan. And similarly, your mind allows pleasant moments to move on and slip away. The reason for this is that your brain has a negativity bias. This means that your brain is hardwired to focus on the negative. Why? Well, it's an evolutionary throwback. And while this once kept us alive and safe, in modern times, it's more often a source of anxiety, irritability, and sadness. To offset this negativity bias, you can look at something beautiful in nature and pause for at least 15 seconds. This gives your brain an opportunity to fully immerse in the beauty and remember it. In his best-selling book, Buddha's Brain, Rick Hansen describes mindfulness practices that can emphasize pleasant experiences, and he backs these practices up with sound science. Jess furthers this idea by describing negative mental and emotional patterns known as samskaras in the yoga teachings. I notice these deep patterns in my clients. And it pains me to see how attached they are to these patterns and how harmful it can be to their self-concept. The value is that by seeing the patterns objectively and with self-awareness, you can then change them. For myself, going through this process, I feel relief knowing that I created the negative patterning. So if I created it, then I can recreate something more positive. Now, this is how affirmations work. For example, you may not believe the affirmation, I am worthy, at first, but over time, your brain will adapt and accept this new self-concept, and your perspective and life begin to transform accordingly. Lastly, remember that every moment is an opportunity to connect with your true self and experience the peace that is always within you. It's a matter of being self-aware and recognizing it. 
I believe this is one of the awesome benefits of practicing yoga and meditation. If you want to learn more about this process, you can work with me individually. Go to my website, yourtruthrevealed.com backslash sessions and contact me. For more on this episode and other great resources, make sure to check out the show notes. In episode 31, I talked to financial planner Jessica Blood about ways your behavior can create more security and freedom of choice. Financial well-being and financial wellness is equally as important as mental health. How can I turn into a helpful asset in your life as opposed to someone that you stress about? It's funny, my grandmother always said, you should feel comfortable with the friends that you're around. If they walk in on a normal day and your house is a mess because you've got two kids and dog that just threw up and the kitchen hasn't been cleaned yet, that person's not going to judge you. It's find your people, keep them close. It's the same way for mental health, for financial wellness. Until next time, please subscribe and rate the show. Also tune into season one for more on unleashing your physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marcoux. Thanks for listening.